Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 71 of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's not just episode 71, though. It's episode 71, part one. Part two, coming tomorrow. My guests for the weekend now are a duo out of Boulder, Colorado. And because there are two of them, this interview went way over the 30 minutes, and I split it into part one and part two. And both of them are dynamite. Gosh, I'm so excited. So I'm going to introduce the guests. Today, my guests, and I guess tomorrow, are Todd Berger and Lucian Fair from Berger and Fair out of Boulder, Colorado. They are 50-50 equal partners, and their studio is 50-50 equal art and design. Now, during this episode, we talk about how both of them got into design. They both have different paths, and they share that with us. We also talk about the struggles that they experienced starting their agency, you know, looking for work, struggling to work, trying to find the right, uh, the right customer, you know, that real customer that there's a shared value for both them and the client. We also talk about a wild friendship that they had with one of their mentors that had contacted them completely out of the blue. I'm not going to tell you who that was, but wow, is it ever a big name? And they talk about what it was like to connect with one of their design idols. They talk a little bit about the process at their agency and what makes them unique. And the one logo concept comes up again. This is something that I had first heard from my guest in episode 66, Connor Fowler. And But Todd and Lucian go by the same rule and it makes complete sense. I love it. These guys made some time for the Quickie Podcast, even though they are just fresh off of launching a new art show in Colorado, and they tell us about the art show and what they put together for that. Damn, this episode is full of stuff, and at the end of it, you're only halfway there. So everybody, let's get into it. My guests today, Todd Berger and Lucian Fair from Berger and Fair. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Gentlemen, Burger and Fair, how are you guys today? Super well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, chatting with Todd and Lucian. And um, man, you guys ready for the Quickie Podcast? We're ready. We're ready, man. Fire away. Awesome. Well, briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Um, Okay, I'll kick it off. Uh, I'm an artist, graphic designer, uh, 24 years experience, independent the whole way. I've had my own studios, 17 of those 24 years with Lucian, kind of from when I kicked off my career. So we're a little unique in that we've never had a quote unquote real job or, or worked for anyone in the creative space. Yeah. Real jobs uh, are overrated. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, I'm a real concept focused person as is my partner. And we kind of like to think of ourselves as ideas, ideas guys, but I'll let him, uh, describe his, uh, his background a bit. Yeah. I mean, 
similar story because we've been together for 17 years. Uh, I was born and raised in Boulder, Colorado, which is where we're at still today. Um, started interning with Todd when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of that. Went to college extremely briefly and just dropped out to carry on with Todd. And that's it. That's cool. You're both Colorado boys? I'm a Chicagoan, uh, but I've been here the whole length of my design career, so like 24 years. Awesome. So you must have got into design when you were one or two years old then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, No, you know, I, I came out here to race mountain bikes. That was the career path I was on. Cool. And uh, that parlayed into a bit of road cycling and, and racing both for a while. And while I was doing that, I was getting my design career started because I sort of saw the writing on the wall. With I wasn't going to take that one as far as it could go. It's a it's mm. a tough career path. Not that making design and art is the easiest or most straightforward either. Got it. So you guys have been together for 17 years and hammering out some amazing work. Um, Lucian, I want to dive back into your childhood here, man. Um, do you feel that you had a creative childhood and, and what made it that way? Yeah, I think yes and no. Both my parents were pretty creative. My mom painted, my dad made art, but neither as a career. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I didn't see myself as terribly creative. I wanted to be a car mechanic and I was just obsessed with cars. Dude, me and you have the same background. That was my original path. Yeah. And how I actually got into design was seeing like vector illustration of cars and trying to figure out how to draw cars in that style. Mm -hmm. And that sort of kicked everything off for me. Got it. And Todd, what about yourself? Do you feel you had a creative childhood? I I did. Similar to Lucian's. I mean, maybe less so in some ways. Neither of my parents were like arty or terribly creative, but they were very, very supportive of my creativity and pursuits. I I was interested in art as a a young kid. Um, As I started to get older, I always knew it was kind of going to be art or science, art or science. Where am I going to go? But in the middle of that, I really just wanted to be an athlete. So I ended up going down the athlete route and took that as far as I could. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when it came time to circle back, art made more sense at that point in my life than going into science. Even though I, I did go to college, I studied environmental chemistry, Mm -hmm. uh, um, and, uh, yeah, brought it all back to design. But, but I feel I was very supported. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. That was the question then, you know, from, from the parent side, was there support for the creative direction and, and whatever you wanted to go? Yeah, I think there was, and there's. It's interesting. Both our parents now are maybe more supportive than ever. Uh, we both know one another's parents well. We see Lucian's pretty frank, frequently because they're in town. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they were supportive. But I think, like in, in in my case, didn't know how to be supportive beyond like it's good that you're creative and you like making art. Whereas my wife's family is like artists who grew up in an art scene who know how art works and understand the business of art. And, so it's you like know, in their DNA then. Right, exactly. So uh, didn't have that, but mm-hmm. have a part of that in my life now. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Solution then, from when you were looking at those vector illustrations of cars, because I was there, and mm-hmm. I tried drawing cars as when I was younger. That I, I tried to go that route, and it just never worked out for me. Um, what was the sort of next steps to get to where you are now? What was your creative journey from that point? Yeah, so literally I was in high school and I had a photography class and we were doing like photo montage stuff in Photoshop. 
I just kept asking my teacher, how do I draw like this mm-hmm. and show him pictures? And he really didn't know because he was actually a photographer. I sort of found my way into Illustrator and then realized this is a thing that people do for a living. Mm-hmm. So I got an internship. I went to a really small progressive high school, essentially forced you into internships. Before that, I was interning at car shops mm-hmm. or working on cars. So I got a pretty corporate internship, and that was all I knew. And then I randomly met Todd on the street through cars. He was dating someone who used to work in my school, and I recognized her old Mercedes. And so I saw her car, went to talk to her, and then she asked what I was up to. I said design. She said, this guy's a designer. And so I stopped by his studio later that week, quit the other internship, started interning with Todd. That was kind of that. That's crazy. And how many years ago was that then? 17 plus. Yeah, I didn't have a driver's license then, so I was 14 or 15. Crazy. And you guys have been together since, working together since. Yep, every day. All right, that's awesome then. Okay, so now you've kind of answered the next question about you know when you first started noticing design out in the world with that car and vector illustration. Um, Todd, what was the moment that you connected the dots there and started noticing design or art or illustration out in the world? What did you see? Yeah, I think aside from probably having an innate fascination with art but not understanding it at all, it was through logo design that I really connected with the design world because I that was what stood out to me. Car logos, store logos, the grocery store, the gas station, the convenience store. Mm-hmm. I was a skateboard and BMX kid, so all the logos in the skate and BMX world were like really influential. And then you start seeing those logos on athletes, the skate company, the BMX company, but then the grocery store logos on that guy. And then the gas station logo. And you're like, wait, what's happening here? And so Mm -hmm. starting to understand how branding worked through sponsorship via design in kind of the athletic world was Mm -hmm. sort of my portal into it. But I guess it all comes back to logos. So in the logo category then, is there one particular logo that you remember the most or the one that just stands out as the most recognized from the, your younger years? I mean, not not really, but I think one that like I don't reference a lot nowadays, but I always think about is the Independent Trucks logo. It was a skate company that made trucks and just the it was just a really cool core company that sponsored and supported the most ripping riders. And they just really pushed this idea of being independent and their mm-hmm. company was called independent. And I feel like that, uh, sort of skate attitude is something that's imbued within me that I've brought into our studios mm-hmm. and just kind of, I still sort of operate from that core principle. You know, the last number of guests have all talked about, um, you know, skate culture and punk culture being like one of their gateways into design. So that's interesting to hear you say that, that, you know, that really aligns with it. Yeah. And then, I mean, second to that, maybe first, but the story's less compelling. Like I'm a Nike head. We both are. So like the swoosh has been part of my life for better or worse, like worse when he was getting beat up for bad child labor practices, you know, in the late eighties. But They've since come full circle and they're on the right side of social justice and, and mm-hmm. human rights. And so that's been another logo that has been super simple and super powerful that's just sort of uh, run parallel with my life. And it's been analogous to like watching the change that's happening in the world. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that when I just finished reading uh, Phil Knight's book, uh, Shoe Dog. Cool. And Great so book. hearing the beginning stages of Nike and sort of where it, how it grew and where it grew and all of that. 
Yeah. That was great. They're, they're releasing three new Cortezes with the three different logo options right now. And different names. From the original? Three original swoosh concepts? No, or? so one's Nike, which is a much thinner, the original swoosh. And yeah. then one's Falcon. Oh. And one was something else. Oh, before else. they set the name. Yeah, it's cool. cool. That's cool. I did not know that. I got to look that up and see the visuals. Yeah. That's cool. So, gentlemen, who is a designer or brand that you both look up to or closely follow? And what is it about them that you like? Yeah, I think probably for both of us, it would be Massimo Vignelli. We had the opportunity to speak with him before he passed away. And we had a relationship right towards the end of his life. And even before that, we had read all his books and really his approach to things, to keeping things simple, understanding composition, the concept that if you can design one thing, you can design anything really resonates with us. Yeah, I think that's right. It was cool. Like it was fortuitous and strange, but Massimo stumbled upon our work through another American designer and took a liking to it. And he actually reached out to us out of the blue. Oh, that's cool. It was within about a year and a half uh, of his death, but we got to speak a number of times, video chat. Um, and we were working towards being in an exhibition that he was hosting of Amer young American designers in Italy. Um, and that all sort of fell through and is kind of tentatively on hold, but could get picked up. But yeah, it was cool to meet one of our design idols. And I think, you know, it's sort of cliche, right? You, you have these kind of people you view as, uh, these sort of idol like seemingly perfect people in a discipline that that you're a fan of, whatever it is, athletics, uh, art, design, and then you meet them and you sort of like the you get deflated, right? They're not everything you thought they would be. Massimo is the opposite of that. Like he's just amazing intelligent amazingly intelligent, uh, beautiful person. It's it's hard to describe. You know, he's a very rare, rare individual. And it was one of those people that we got to meet and we were like, wow, this is so cool. And it was like more than we imagined. Just has an energy about him that you know you pick up even through, you know, a video chat or something like that. A confidence. Right. Yeah. And you pick it up when you're reading his work or you watch an interview, but in person it's even more magic. So what was that like then when a guy of his stature just reaches out out of the blue like that? What is your reaction with each other? Yeah, I mean, I was at my girlfriend's now wife at the time house when I got that email, and I thought it was fake. I thought like a friend was pranking us somehow. <laughs> right, we both thought we were being email. fucked with. It's yeah. like we get an email randomly from Massimo Vignelli, and it's like, I really enjoy your work, and I'd like to speak with you about it. And we're like, what the fuck? You're is like, this f off, come on. Um, it was so that was that was pretty cool, um, and you know, reassuring and. Just felt nice. That is crazy. What a unique yeah. experience. It was a it was a wild, you know, nerdy graphic design moment, but we were stoked to say the least. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about your process, um, and you know, feel free to reserve whatever you'd like from it. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about your process and what might might make yours unique? Yeah. So we typically only take projects where we get to do the identity. So mm -hmm. everything starts with identity for us. That either means it's a new company or a rebrand. Mm -hmm. And we have sort of a fairly simple briefing process to extract information from the client, which can go easy, sometimes can be harder, depending on how many sort of decision makers are involved. Yes. And then we go from there. But I think an interesting part about our process 
and being the duo is we don't diverge. We don't, you know, I don't do illustration and Todd does logos or anything like that. We're constantly honing the same skills, teaching each other. So we're completely duplicitative. Duplicative. Duplicative. Yeah. (laughs) We focus on learning all the same stuff. Like, yeah, because that's what our studio does, yeah. you know? So if we're going to sell identity and sort of brand work and web work, like we both do it all together, we share the same skills, we split mm-hmm. the business responsibilities, um, yeah, rather than like I think it's more standard for someone to be good at one thing and the other to be good at the other. And like when we work on our paintings or prints or art, whatever we're doing, we're both working on each piece. We both paint the same, have the same painting skills, print the same etc cetera, etc cetera. you know so it's like easier when it's like dude i fucked this up and it's like well okay i might have fucked that up too but i didn't it was you this time but we're both doing the same things so it's definitely know? learning and lessons together yeah yeah, yeah. the and studio is basically set up for continued learning yeah we've always thought of the studio both the art studio and the design studio as like a laboratory environment mm-hmm. for us to explore and, and develop there's a yeah, there's definitely a learning educational component to our practice that we see as very vital. Another yeah. thing that is maybe unique, definitely we didn't come up with it, and I'm sure more people are doing it, but we only present one solution, so we don't present options to our clients. Okay, so that is super interesting you say that, because just a few episodes ago, um, I interviewed uh, Connor Fowler. He's a illustrator and logo, logo and branding specialist, not an illustrator, sorry, um, out of London, England. And um, that was the first time I had heard that. He has this one logo concept. When he's doing brands and logos, he presents it. Um, so I'm interested to hear you expand on that a little bit, because he, uh, you know, and your reasoning behind it. Yeah, I think historically, I'm sure he wasn't the first, but Paul Rand mm-hmm. definitely influenced our adaption of this process. But And our thinking around presenting work in general. Yeah, we didn't do it all the time. You know, earlier we'd present three options, but before the meeting, we would decide which was the best. Mm-hmm. And 99.9% of the time, we would sell that one through. Mm-hmm. And so it was sort of a slow realization that one you know, we're the experts. So in some ways, having a client make a decision on that level doesn't make total sense. And also, it's better use of our time to focus on the single solution that we know will be better than make two inferior things just to throw out. Yeah. And so for the client that wants to pick, they Mm -hmm. should find a firm that likes that approach, right? But for us, if you want a super professional solution that hinges on all of our experience and all the previous work we've done, like if we were to design three, one's going to be better for X, Y, and Z reasons that we know that we've been through from our experiences and we could make that case. So to let your client pick X when it should be Y, you're kind of doing them a disservice. Again, for the person that wants that, that's great. They should have that. Um, But our preference is to like winnow down on our end after completing the brief and, and spending a lot of time talking and learning and, and sharing uh, the general philosophy, objective, values, vision, et cetera, with mm-hmm. our client partner, and then them using and trusting us to, to do that winnowing down and, and bring forth the best solution. Yeah, naturally using your expertise, and you know that's why you are hired. I mean, in theory, right? But mm-hmm. you know, our, our practice, the larger design practice tends not to work like that. Like mm-hmm. people, 
design's being super commodified more so maybe than ever at the moment. So people hire someone because they're like, oh, you're supposed to be a great designer with a bunch of experience or blah, 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 but really just like make us the thing, right? Yes. And so we don't want those clients per se. Mm -hmm. We want the types of clients that value our thinking, our experience, our approach, and want us to put forth uh, a thoughtful, very considered solution mm -hmm. that meets their goals and objectives and, and thereby takes that responsibility off their shoulders so they can focus on what they ought to be good at, which mm -hmm. is running their business or moving it forward in whatever way they ought to be, not designing their logo per se. Man, that's, that's well put. So when, you're, when a customer or a client, potential client approaches you, do you make it very clear right up front, like we're a one concept presentation firm, like this is what we do? Or do it they comes out pretty early, you okay. know, occasionally, and we even have a project right now where we're working on working with a brand, but we're working with their lead designer, who's a very, very good accomplished designer, whose opinion we respect highly. And so we can sort of show him concepts before we show the rest of the decision makers. Mm -hmm. And he wants to be a little more in the loop. So we're like, hey, we did this, we're probably going to throw it out, but you should see it to see where we're going, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but most clients, it comes up pretty early and we're like, we'll let, you know, we're going to do the briefing process. We're going to talk a lot and then we're going to go away and design. And when we're ready to present the work to you, we'll present you our solution. Um, and if it's like, Oh, am I going to see three? We're like, no, you're, you're going to see one, the, the right one. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's all a function of budget and timelines, et cetera. hundred percent always is right. Um, I want to go back 17 years ago to, and go a little bit off script here. If you're cool with that. Sure. Um, to the early startup days. And I want to hear if you guys had the, you know, the, the typical what should be unavoidable scrappy startup um, where, you know, you were just taking work and doing what you can to get things up and going to get your name known. Um, so to really I had start that, build it up. Yeah, I had that a little bit before Lucian because I had one studio before Lucian and I met. Okay. And it was early dot-com days, uh, 97 mm -hmm. starting. So doing a lot of web stuff. This is kind of pre-branding, right? People mm -hmm. weren't even really talking about branding yet. Um, doing a lot of progressive web stuff. And yeah, taking anything we could get. I was doing design and front-end code, and my partner was doing back-end development. Wasn't even called development then, right? It mm -hmm. was just like writing code. I don't even think people were talking about front-end and back-end necessarily. Yeah. But that was how things were structured, and we were slowly kind of parlaying our web studio into a, a brand studio. But I don't even think we were calling it that then. But yeah, mm -hmm. we were we were scrappy. We got our, we got into some cool projects just by nature of locale. We were both coming out of the professional mountain biking world, so we mm -hmm. had a lot of athletic connections. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, yeah, but man, it was messy and like started with very little money. Um, you know, a, a bike shop owner fronted a, a building that he also had on his lease to us who, who was a good buddy of mine. It was like, Hey, hang out here for a while until you have some money to pay me. Mm -hmm. And we had some projects running, but yeah, it was messy, scrappy, et cetera. We've been through that a number of times. So that was my first studio. Then I bought my partner out for very little money to start my next studio, which I started with Lucian, mm -hmm. which was our first studio. Uh, inside that studio, we launched an art and design boutique and gallery. So we had another business of our own in that space. So you came through uh, the gallery space into the design studio space. 
And then from there, we parlayed that into Burger and Fair in like, what, 2010 or something maybe. Um, that previous studio was bigger. We had more people. And through that experience, we decided to like unravel it and focus on having a smaller, more intimate practice that was really just based on our partnership. That seemed where the real quality shit was happening. And mm-hmm. that was what we enjoyed the most. You know, I'm uh, glad you really shared that, um, you know, the mountain bike shop owner that sort of lent you that space until you got up and going because so often, you know, in, in the world of, you know, the Instagram world and society we live in, it's so easy to forget and not even look at, you know, the scrappy beginnings where you're like, shit, we need to pay some bills here, bro. And oh, I'm trying dude, to figure that out. Fucking busted. I mean, and even Lucian, like I put him through the grinder. I mean, I worked every <laughs> single day for... 12 years, Mm -hmm. 13 years. I mean, every single day, like almost all day. I still went to the skate park and rode my bike here and there. But I mean, it was like, and we're back to working a lot again because we're so stoked on making art. So it's like design nine to five art at night. But Mm -hmm. 60 hours was like a light work week for a decade plus, you know? Um, Lots of Mm all-nighters just grinding on whatever you know getting getting the work done and and trying to do high quality work right getting the work done is one thing and trying to sort of push yourself out of your comfort zone to do better work is another and then Mm -hmm. coming full circle at some point once you've got enough chops you realize that hey if we kind of work nine to five 40 hours a week 36 hours a week somewhere in there and get more rest we now have the skills we now have the conceptual thinking to like be more efficient and more effective and do frankly better work than work all the time and and again like now we've got this process where design work inspires artwork and artwork inspires design work so we have a bit of a like engine happening again where we're staying stoked and and super inspired so then that transition where you're you're building up and starting to you know lower the amount of hours worked per week and you know have higher caliber clients are you also sort of slipping and increasing prices as well to compensate for the extra value you're bringing we try when we can i mean Mm -hmm. based on how the market moves right i mean there's certainly i i think right now we're our prices are probably lower than they were at our highest point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also because we're more particular about our clients too. And, and we don't just want to do startup or corporate work. Yep. Like, like we're happy to have one, you know, large startup or kind of corporate project happening, but we by and large, like small, scrappy, independent entrepreneurial folks doing really progressive, cool things. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes to work with those people, if we came in at our corporate price point, they, you know, they would just walk away. So we've yeah. got to find to do a lot of the work we want. We've got to find ways to make it work for our clients financially. For sure. Um, so Lucian, um, Todd had mentioned that he put you through the grinder and didn't let you slide into an established business. What was that like? Yeah. I mean, he was in the grinder with me though. It wasn't yeah. like we were both there. Yeah. Seven days a week worked super late super loud music (laughs) but but i was young and i just loved every second i didn't care i didn't want a life outside of work Mm -hmm. like todd said we learned later and actually as we went to more of a nine to five five days a week we actually got more productive and got more done so we did learn a lesson through there although i'm not sure we could have gotten to that place without working the seven days a week and all nights 
but it was a really interesting transition and kind of learning point for us. Yeah, and it was always like design for us and art is like much more of a lifestyle and, and a life practice than mm -hmm. a job. You know, I mean, it's what we're kind of doing all the time and have been for a long time. So, I mean, for better or worse, I'm by and large defined by my work. Like I see myself as a mountain biker and a fly fisherman and I like to surf when I can and do other things. But mm -hmm. my life is about art and design and that's kind of the, the world that exists in my household. And um, I think it's fairly similar for, for Lucian. That's awesome. Guys, I'm so glad you let me kind of dive into into that startup story because, you know, we've got, you know, freelancers who are out there trying to build and trying to do the same and just wanted to, you know, let them know from guys in your position that keep powering through, gentlemen. Yeah, totally. Keep powering through. Cool. We've um, got other startup stories that might be for another day. <laughs> yeah, when you say the word startup, we actually – We had a real startup. We had a startup fairly recently so that, it's okay dude, started, you can't open that it, can without diving in yeah that we started in the studio so that's maybe for later well i'm gonna make you dive into that right now actually if you're all right with it sure about and i'm gonna stop it there right there just to tease it a little bit in this next episode we get into some awesome stories from todd and lucian they talk all about what it was like with their startup elo and the pains that they experienced and some of the toughest times um, in their career so far that story and so many more tomorrow morning on part two have a great day everybody see ya